I've had the privilege of doing almost 200 wedding ceremonies in my ministry career. And uh, I've seen quite a bit, not everything, but I've seen quite a bit. I look out and I even see some people whose weddings I've performed. Um, let me tell you a few of the things I've seen. I've seen pet dogs come in with the wedding party and the processional. That's in our sanctuary. I let them know we have, we have animals in the sanctuary all the time. That's fine. I've seen uh, a groom sob his way through the vows. That's pretty extraordinary. I watched a, a young couple go to the unity candle and they could not get the unity candle lit. They tried and tried. I went over and tried to help them lifting the wick through the soft wax and we could not get that thing lit. I turned to the congregation and said, it's only a symbol. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bad, bad scene. When I pronounce a husband and wife at the end of the ceremony, it's it's pretty exciting time. It's culminating. And uh, the most formal wedding I've ever done, I mean, the, gr the groom and the groomsmen were all in top hats, tails. I mean, it was this Victorian lace, gloves. Everyone was beautifully dressed. And when I pronounced them husband and wife, they started to get dressed for the recessional. And I had to say in front of all those people and recorded for all posterity, kiss each other. <laughs> it just they forgot that cue in the program. Another time I, I pronounced husband and wife, and this was an outdoor wedding, and it was up at Lake Forest Academy. And uh, right when I pronounced them husband and wife, one of the groomsmen let loose some, some doves. And it was a lovely expression, so we thought. One dove took a nosedive into the pond right behind me, started flapping for dear life. One groomsman waded in, shoes and all, to grab the poor bird and rescue him. Another dove flew into the lap of one of the moms. I can't remember which. She screamed, stood up, and was ready to, to leave the whole ceremony. The others were kind of buzzing around our heads while I tried to bring a dignified conclusion to the ceremony. I have to let you know I did a wedding in Wheaton and found out a few days later that the bride was the featured centerfold of a magazine that will not be named. <laughs> these embarrassing moments, these exciting, unexpected moments, occur in weddings all the time. But one thing I've never experienced, I've never had just one of the two parties make their promises to the other. It's always gone two ways. A covenant of love requires two promises. And that's a given, not only in marriages, but it's a given in our relationship with God. I believe that that foundational piece is what we find a little bit in this text. I'd like us to remind ourselves that this is the last week of our community Bible experience. Coming up is our last week of reading. We're in the book of Deuteronomy, coming to a great conclusion. 
Deuteronomy is where Moses is giving his final speech, uh, really his final words to the new generation of Israelites who've been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness and are now about ready to enter Canaan. So these are important words. Moses isn't going with them, and he wants them to know what's most important to him. And so we find in this text that, that the pattern of Moses' words to Israel follow a pattern of treaties between ancient kings and their subjects. And so it's pretty ordinary for a king to say, I have some requirements for you as my subjects. But I'd like to suggest that in this text are some hints that the relationship is more than just king to subjects. I believe it's a little more like spouse to spouse, husband to wife. What does the Lord require of you is the main question. What does he require? Does he have requirements? What does he require? There's a series of some 12 commands woven through these verses if you want to follow. Fear the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord your God. Keep his commandments. And then if you jump down to 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Do not be stubborn any longer. 19, you shall love the stranger. 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast. And by his name you shall swear. That swear is the idea of praying or promising, giving oaths by his name. Don't misuse it, but, but use his name for those things. And so we have 12 commands. A couple of them are repeated. So 10 total in this text. One negative, nine very positive. But let's go a little deeper. I love the word only at the beginning. Did you catch that in verse 12? Only. It's as if Moses is reminding the people, don't get overwhelmed. This isn't intended to be overwhelming. This is something very attainable. It's not impossible. It's not real complicated. It's not to overwhelm you. He's only asking a few things of you. It's interesting when we look at the Old Testament Torah, as the Jewish scholars have, they find 613 laws. They counted them. 613. Moses seems to focus on 10 on which those 613 can be hung, but Jesus goes even further and reduces it to two, as if to say, no, this, this isn't all that complicated. You may have gotten overwhelmed as you were reading through the Torah, if you went through it with us. Uh, there's lots of laws, and if you tried to keep track of it, you're you know, you're going to be busy. 613, try to categorize all those and remember them all. But now, you can reduce that to the Big Ten, certainly. But even further, you can reduce it to really two. To love the Lord your God with your whole being and your neighbor as yourself. It's not really intended to be all that complicated. It just is a matter of us loving God, of us focusing on him, getting our heart right. And that love is woven through this text. Did you see how often the word love is mentioned here? 
And it is through a lot of the book of Deuteronomy. Don't miss that. It's not all about detailed laws. It's about a heart of love that God has for us. And he's requiring that we, in turn, have for him. Notice it's, it's God's love that is the focus here. It's to love God is what we're, we're after in return for his love. It is fear, not a fear that's afraid, but a fear that comes from a loving respect and reverence for God. Love's still in the picture there. Even circumcise your heart is kind of a, an abrasive, kind of shocking image, but the whole idea is God's much more interested in these heart issues that all people need to get right with God rather than than just the outward circumcision sign. And that's one of the themes of Moses and the prophets and Jesus and the Apostle Paul. What is God looking for? He's not looking for a lot of detailed response and carrying through with all the sacrifices and offerings. He's looking for a heart. At the core of everything, he's looking for a heart that loves him. That's what he wants, a circumcised heart. If you look down at verse 20, one of the commands is you shall hold fast. That's the same word used of the husband who's to cling to his wife in Genesis 2. That same clinging is how we're to hold fast to God. So there's a, a love image there. And then if, if we peeked into chapter 11, and there's no break in, in Moses' initial sermon and speech, Verse 1 of chapter 11 says, You shall love the Lord your God, therefore, and keep his charge. So it's really quite simple. You only have to love God with your whole being and your neighbor as yourself. And as that love works out, there are going to be behaviors, there are going to be things that, that need to be done. But at the core, that's, that's what God requires. That's what he wants. I'll throw in a, a few cautions before we move on. One is don't try to obey all the commands without addressing the heart of love that God's looking for. Addressing and trying to obey all the commands will get burdensome and you'll look more and more like a Pharisee who Jesus confronted regularly. What what God is looking for, what God is requiring, is a heart that loves him. And then it, it works out into some of the details. But take first things first. Don't try to obey all the commands without loving God. But I might also say, don't say you love God and have no regard for his commands. There are multiple commands in Scripture, not only in the Old Testament with the 613, but even in the New Testament. I looked at 13 verses in Romans 12. There are 31 commands in those 13 verses. Friends, we don't, we don't get out from underneath requirements in the New Testament, but we need to remember this, this heart that comes first. I might also suggest something else about our love for God, is it does, although vertical, it calls us to a horizontal love for other people. You see that in this text? It seems like everything is directed toward loving God, but then all of a sudden there's, you shall also love the stranger. Why? Because God loves the stranger. 
translate. That word is the word for foreigner, alien, dare I say it, immigrant. God loves these people. You should love these people. In fact, you were a stranger, a foreigner, an immigrant when you were in Egypt. And many of us have relatives not that far removed. So friends, I might just say, without getting too political, that in this day, there's a lot of confusion about how we deal with immigration. But there's no confusion about the issue of love. We love God. We love all people, especially those who are vulnerable. And among them are orphans and widows and immigrants. It might be complicated in the political national scene, but it's real simple when it comes to God's command commands us to love them, love all people, even as he does. The other thing I see besides the requirements in this text, and maybe you saw it, is uh, motivations. Why would we do these things? We now know what God requires, but why would we do it? There's a little phrase at the end of verse 13, it says, for your own well-being. That's a pretty good motivation. That strikes at some of our, you know, need to take care of ourselves, our own selfishness. Um, but it's important. My mom loved to preach the importance of a good diet. She would take any opportunity to remind us of the importance of eating the right food. And we caught her one time, just very unconsciously, she said, please pass the vegetables, which are good for you. And these requirements may look more like vegetables than desserts. May not excite you as you look at the things that God requires of us. But I'd like to suggest they're really intended for our good. God isn't trying to take the fun out of life. He's trying to help us remember what's really most important and take care of life and love and the deepest of relationships. So recognize that God intends it for your own well-being for my well-being. But there's more of a motive here than just that. It goes deeper. I think the reason we are to love God and obey God is because He's loved us first. It's God's character and His behavior toward us that flows out of that character that's, that's at the core of our loving relationship. God loved Israel, chose them, redeemed them long before he set them down and told them his law. In much the same way, he loves us, the whole world, and gave his one and only son and his spirit to follow long before he laid down some of the commands of the New Testament for how believers can, can live this life well. You see, the first step is always God's grace and are receiving that grace by faith. And then, and then the next step is living into that newfound relationship. And that's where the vows start to get exchanged. You see, God is always the initiator in grace, unconditional, undeserved. He moves out and he promises, I love you. I will love and cherish you as long as we both shall live. Till death do us part. 
However you look at it, God is promising his love to us. And he's waiting for us to respond back and to express to him that we love him, not only in our words, but in our behaviors. God is looking for a loving relationship that's not just promised in front of a bunch of people, but is lived into for a lifetime. God wants to be married to us. God loves us that much. And so the motivation of the believer's behavior to love God, love other people, to obey God's commands, to fulfill these requirements, the motivation is because God's done so much for us. He's reached out in his love. He's reached out in his greatness to perform miracles for Israel, for us, for people we know. He's a great God. He's a just God. He's reached out to give help to those who are more vulnerable. We've seen it. We've observed it. Now, are we willing to imitate it and receive that goodness as a free gift from God and then live it out in our lives? You see, God is, is standing before the whole congregation. He's made his promise. The question is, have we responded? Have we left him jilted up there waiting patiently for our reply. Maybe for some of us, we need to renew those vows today and let him know that we really do love him. Because once that full exchange is made and the covenant of love is entered, both parties participate, then we can have a party. That's right. God, I would ask that you help each one of us as we begin this time of prayer. Would you help us to realize your great love for us, all that you've done for us in history, through Christ, through your spirit, through your reaching out in love for a relationship with us. Would you help us to See that and then help us to respond to it. Help us to express our love for you. Help us to renew that regularly, daily, moment by moment as we live for you. Help us to be people who reflect your character, love, and justice in this world. So God, we bow before you. And praise your people for the help of your spirit. Circumcise our hearts, we pray. Christ's name.